Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 355 for February 6th, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about long-term tool storage, selling at craft shows, and quarter sawn lumber. And if you want to help out the show, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk, and there's a bunch of different ways you could help out, uh, different levels that you could sign up for and get some cool stuff in return. And we'd like to thank Tony Weichel, Daniel McGarity, and Tim for helping us out and uh if you do that we'll actually mention your name on the show just like we did for those folks there so again that's at patreon.com slash wood talk and we uh really really do appreciate your support and uh let's see that's just about it for the business stuff i think we can get right into what's on the bench this week actually got a lot of, to cover on the show quite a few voicemails and stuff so let's get right into it uh for Woo-hoo. me i bought a slab this week <laughs> i got my cremona on and i went oh, over there oh man I walked into this place and I'm like, I was like, Hey, do you know who I'm friends with? I'm friends with Cremona. So I kind of know what I'm doing here. And, uh, right. and they jacked now. up the price. Yeah. They said, Oh, well, in that <laughs> case, media like that dude, it'll be 30% He's more. putting us out of business with his uh, homemade bandsaw mill. Yeah, seriously. So everyone's was, making their own slabs now. <laughs> we have, we have his picture on the dartboard in the back room. Uh, yeah. Single-handedly <laughs> destroying their business. Um, so I went to this place called CS Woods. In Denver, and everybody, like, as soon as I moved here, everybody's like, Oh, you got to check this place out. It's Collector's Specialty Woods, and it's just fantastic. And I took a couple videos, and I've got video specifically for the episode I'm going to be doing for the table that I'm building. And this place is just mind blowing. It's huge. It's just this giant warehouse with the biggest slabs up against the wall, and it's, you know, like 30 foot tall ceilings. And some of these slabs are just about getting to the top. Uh, I mean, monstrous size conference table slabs labs. And, uh, then on the floor, it's just flitches and stacks of anything and everything. There were just some amazing burl, uh, flitches they had set up just stuff that uh, it's just such, it's on a different level that I would never be able to even afford it. And if I could, I'd be afraid to touch it. 
because it's just something so pure <laughs> about these slabs. And I'm sure this is, you know, for, for Matt, I'm sure this is where a lot of your love for this comes from. There's a, a purity in seeing this board live edge from end to end. It's, it's, it makes it feel like it's closer to the tree. Whereas I go, you know, to a regular lumber dealer and I just see a stack of milled lumber. It's just a very small internal portion of a tree, but it seems more, it's so much more disconnected from the original tree, but these slabs are, I mean, I mean, I'm stating the obvious here, but there is something more to it uh, that make these slabs really, really special. And uh, th- th- this place was just amazing. So I, I did wind up finding a small slab that I think is good for like a, a deep, um, not re- really long, uh, but like deep and sort of um, very basic coffee table. Kind of like a, you know, kind of occupies the same space like a circular coffee table might take up, but mm-hmm. it is kind of a square shape. So it's a little little deeper than you might expect. Uh, picked up some metal legs for it. And um, and that's one of the things I was I was going to ask you guys about. I think is interesting when you're considering slabs. I think one of the most important things to do is to stay out of the way. And I think with a slab top, something that actually makes a statement, I've seen people try to do too much with the base and almost make the base of this thing compete with the top. And I don't know that that works. I feel like the more you you try with a base, you just get in the way. And I think you kind of need to let the slab be the showpiece and just you know sort of stick to the basics in terms of how you support this thing. I mean, do you guys, have you guys seen some of that where people kind of overdo it with a slab? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Cause you, you try I to be creative just, with it, but there's really mm-hmm. only so much you can do before you're competing with the beauty of that slab top. Yeah. There's a, um, <clears throat> uh, recent, uh, fine woodworking magazine. I think it was that did a, a Limbert table on the cover mm-hmm. and it's just a, a gorgeous, uh, design with kind of a grid you know that like the shelf that goes underneath the coffee table stretcher or shelf or whatever and had kind of a grid pattern to it had tusk tenons on the side and kind of typical limbert uh cutout so like negative space things Mm -hmm. really very cool design and then a slab on top of it now overall the whole thing was just gorgeous yeah and the slab was just breathtaking and it had the typical there was a check so there was some butterfly splines on there but it was like it was almost too much there was too much going on and you know it was one of those things where as a as a woodworker of course i got into it i'm like man this is gorgeous look at this detail and this detail and this detail sure and i showed it to my wife and she said oh what a really cool top and i said you know but what do you think of that grid pattern on the bottom i'm thinking of doing that she's like i i didn't see that (laughs) <laughs> not at all you know? even it's like your eye can only take in so much and yeah. i think as woodworkers we probably take in i know not probably i know we take in more than the average you know than the lay person i think mm-hmm. so all that extra effort is just lost on right. the, the average viewer yeah yeah i could definitely see that so uh, i was lucky they actually had some uh square legs that were from a local fabricator uh sitting there that i thought would actually fit this really well and if you're watching the live stream pardon me for a second just out of my reach. Um, so here's the oh, leg. Oh, cool. It's just a big square. Oh, yeah. Right That's a rectangle, nice... not a square. Well, yeah, shut yeah. up, dude. It's... Most, most people would refer <laughs> to that as a rectangle. It's squarish, okay? Oh, uh, the tube is square. There are four... It's a rectangle with a flange. There are four right angles. <laughs> shut up. Uh, and then look, there's this rectangular thing on it here, because obviously it's a rectangle. Um, and just a nice wide plate to be able to secure it to the underside of the... Um, of the slab. So I think that's what I find funny is you had started out with the intention of, uh, you wanted to highlight the taps, right? That you're yeah. making. Yep. Um, so you had started out with a slab 
that you had had for like a decade in yes. your shop yeah. and some hairpin legs for that. And then yeah. you realize the proportions are off. So then you went out and bought a new slab, <laughs> still haven't used the slab you've had for a decade and still haven't used the hairpin legs you bought. Yeah. Yeah. So these Where'd hairpin legs are sitting here. I'm like a woodworking uh, hobbyist alive. I know. I know. I looked at it so and I was just like, not only the, the original slab, but a set of hairpin legs yeah. floating uh, around the shop. Yeah. Know? Well, that slab uh, is just too narrow. And that's why I even like I, I texted these two goons because I'm like, hey, is this just me or is this going to look stupid? Because it's you know it's just not wide or deep enough uh, to have four legs on it. It looks like it would just kind of fall over. Uh, and I had these hairpin legs because that's what you kind of just go for. And you're looking for something as a minimalistic piece of hardware. But I really do not like hairpin legs. I feel like they're, oh, they're so with you. So glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm not. I just don't like them. They're too. Um, not just me. It's kind of like the go-to solution if you're at yeah, an entry. You're at an entry-level point in. I've got this live edge slab. What do I do with it? I know I'll put hairpin legs on it, and I feel like it's just <laughs> it's it's the the convenient top like let's call it like the lowest hanging fruit solution. So I was super excited when I saw sitting in their showroom they had this fabricated um, uh, rectangular legs that I thought actually fit this piece because even though it's a live edge slab because of its depth and its dimension it's probably oh i don't know maybe two and a half by three and a half in dimension it's kind of got this stubby look to it and i feel like a square leg um would actually fit the piece pretty well and much much better than than hairpin legs so so there you go that's been my adventure uh, and yes i am working on the thread taps that's the idea is i mean i'll still be able to use the thread taps with this um, but today i actually filmed some of the promotional stuff for it because we hopefully by Friday, if we're lucky, if everything goes right, we're actually going to be launching the pre-sale for the thread taps. Um, so we've got to get some, you know, photos, videos, and text and all that stuff up on the website and have that ready to roll. So that's super exciting. As you can tell, that's really cool. my voice. I'm super excited. You look excited. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just busy. <laughs> I am excited. It's a cool opportunity. I'm just, there's a lot to do <laughs> to get everything ready. So a little bit overwhelming. And it's Monday. Well, I have I have many more questions about that, but I'll wait until they come out. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe we'll, um, especially if we do a pre-sale at the end of the week, maybe uh, next week on Monday or something, we can kind of talk about them a little bit. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, cool. And Matt, I've been watching your Facebook feed and my Instagram feed, and it's like, as I'm excited about my slab that I spent tons of money on, I'm watching you just like, I don't know, you're like a de- guy at the deli counter lopping off things from a oh, hunk yeah. of cheese. <laughs> and it's just these beautiful crotch boards coming off of this thing. I'm like, what a jerk. I was yeah, I was cutting that, firewood most of the week. Oh, that, that tuning fork thing you produced was just cool. I have lots uh, of ideas for how I'd want to use that. Yeah. Well, that's just how like, I picked that up. It was cut like that by whoever cut it down and cut it up for firewood. They cut the um, the limbs above the crotch. So they cut it below the crotch and then, then left the limbs above the crotch. So it's like, I don't know, backwards than you, you, <laughs> you, don't, you would normally see, I guess. Yeah, right. So my thought there was, I don't know if I'd ever do it, if I have time to do it, but someone could make like um, a waterfall style table with that where they have two yeah. legs that fold down and then you have an end um, thing like Mark has with the steel or something. Mm-hmm. But that ends up being like you know, a crotch top with a bit of a split in it. And then it folds down to the legs because you have a lot of stock there. Mm. But I mean, there is, I have to tell you what though, the interesting thing, like I, I have this like interesting, like, I don't know what I'll call it, but it's like a back and forth thing like that. Like uh, of what I'm used to with bandsaws, like in the shop compared to a giant one outside. Yeah. Cause like the, the, the guides on my saw, I just fixed them today, but they were not working. So the blade was literally cutting without any guidance 
all week, and I didn't have any problems with it drifting or going anywhere except straight, very consistently. And it's like, do I even need guides? Because <laughs> right. it just cut just fine. It's just so weird. And the fact that like I made that thing, yeah, and it's not actually like technically tuned correctly, and it's cutting like, like I don't even want to make it. Like, should I make it better? Should I fix it and make it the way it's supposed to be? Because, and maybe that'll just make it worse. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You run that risk. So what do you think it is? You think it's the sheer scale of it, the size of the blade? Like, what is contributing to this behaving so differently than what we normally might see on a small scale in a shop? I would guess the tension on that blade. Mm-hmm. Right. I would think the blade itself just, you know, I mean, and, and indirectly, because you, you've got such a big blade, you've got to tension it more. But I mean, just speaking from my, you know, one fifteenth horsepower perspective, um, <laughs> my frame saw as compared to my band saw was so yeah. it tracked such a straighter line and it cuts so fast. A lot of that is tooth geometry, but just a four inch wide blade, you know, has so much more beam strength to it. And it just kind of sliced right through it. I imagine it's the same thing in your case, but like times 300. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about the, you know, because these things are flat, right? So is there any influence of the piece on the top as gravity pulls it down could be doing something mm. to stabilize the blade? Um, Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know because there the is... Top down, right? Yeah, there is some set to the teeth, so the kerf is wider than the thickness of the band. Okay. So it's not like it's dragging right? either, but, I mean, that's that's a possibility. I'm just thinking like, it's like when you're like, I'm going to set up my bandsaw to resaw and you're like out there for like five hours, getting the blade <laughs> guys all set perfectly and getting everything all whatever the fence set and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't right. even know if my blade is parallel to the bed at this point, but it's still <laughs> cutting straight. Yeah. So the end result is good. So who cares? Yeah. But like when you're in the shop resawing, you're like, oh, I got to spend all this time setting up my saw, making sure it's all perfect. And it's some kind of like hocus pocus thing that people have to do to get their saws tuned up for that. Yeah. I don't know. It's like I slapped the blade on there and go into town. Mm. Do you think it's a relative thing though? Because obviously when you're in the shop resawing, you know, you're, um, you have less to play with. Like waste matters a heck of a lot more. You're trying to hit a specific line and here you're just making lumber at this point. I so guess, I mean, yeah, it's, it's cutting straight, but it's you know, coming out of consistent thickness though. So the blade isn't yeah. wandering through the yeah, cut If it's not barreling, if you're not getting major tapers, and the thing is, you're dealing with extremely yeah. long lengths, so the scale on all fronts, the scale is just bigger. You would think if it's going off, you would still you would still see it. Yeah, that deviation yep. would be compounded, too. Yep. Yeah, the widest thing I cut so far, I've got 30 inches of cut width, which I'm already cutting wider than most people they are like, like commercially available band size will cut mm-hmm. their mills right. with no guidance at all. That's crazy. That's so cool, it's just that. it's Cremona fairy dust. That's all it is. I don't know what it is. It's what just it is. magic yeah. sawmill stuff. Yeah. You just need to grab grab some random guy off the street, have him sign a waiver, and then say, "Here, cut this log. We'll see if <laughs> his goes as straight too." And then it could just be you could just oh, it's, it's all operator talent. That's all. Yeah, and no, don't I mean, dwell could, on it too much. You could jinx yourself here. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot more to it too. Like the carriage on my mill is so heavy that it, there's no vibration in the cut either. Sure. So there, yeah. that could be a two, but it's super just fun to like, I've cut like, I don't know, probably three or 400 board feet of lumber already mm-hmm. just in those couple of days. It's just, it's singing. It's just going. <laughs> no, it's, it's so weird. I can't even describe the feeling. I'm like, 
this wasn't here six months ago. And when it got here, it was just some square tube and some rectangular tube. And I welded a bunch of stuff together. And now I'm cutting logs up. That's yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Well, I'm watching those videos of you with the chainsaw mill. And I'm just like, man, that, that looks like a, a lot of damn work. <laughs> like, just yeah, the, the, the cut speed, too, has been well, it's what I kind of expected it to be. Like, my, like, uh, my, like, I don't know, like rule over or standard of like success for this project was I'm happy as long as it cuts faster than the chainsaw mill. Yeah. Don't care. Otherwise, <laughs> as long as it's faster. So it's about a third to a quarter of the, of the time or the cut time of the chainsaw mill wow. right around there. So like uh, the, the 30 inch wide cut that was six feet long is a 90 second cut, which if you're doing that on a chainsaw mill, it's not going to be 90 seconds and you're going to be besides the fact that it's like, an arduous 90 seconds or whatever, however long it's going to be, it would be a lot longer and a lot more physically demanding mm-hmm. of a cut. So I'm happy. I'm just, I don't know. Just so happy. That's cool, man. I, I hope First it continues to go that way. That's great. We'll so see real when question I get is, really big stuff up there. How many pounds is Matt going to start to gain now that he doesn't have that, you know, arduous Alaskan <laughs> burning work that all those calories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the difference here is now I actually have to like move the logs around as opposed to the chainsaw mill, you just like plop the mill on top of the log. That's true. Yeah, so until you still, add all your hydraulics and stuff and you're operating it from your hey, easy chair. Hey, you know? don't worry. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Deal with that later. <laughs> I'll do it on a treadmill. Those little treadmill desk things. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, those are awesome. I saw one of those before. I was like, that's not, I don't think I'd want to do that, but that's neat. <laughs> it's a cool idea. <laughs> not sure I'd want to do it. Uh, Shannon, what do you got going on? Uh, I've been... Um, Putting, smoothing out the blanket chest, getting it kind of finish ready. Uh, I still have some drawers to build for it, but um, I, I admit in line with, I think it was last week when I was talking about like putting stuff off because you're like, oh, that's going to be difficult. It's just yet another example of, you know, oh, curly cherry, that's going to be really difficult. No, nah, not so much. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how sharp fixes everything. You know, sure. there's no high angle frog. There's no special bevel up high, you know, high angle blade. It's just a standard um, bevel down blade sharpened at 25 degrees. It's just sharp and a nice tight mouth on the smoothing plane. And uh, it's just gorgeous. Like the the real kind of like depth and that chatoyancy you see in figured wood. Mm-hmm. It starts to come out when it's really smooth and, and per, just ready for the finish. Of course it feels fantastic, but yeah, it was very, very nice to kind of get to that stage and level out my dovetails and really get to see kind of how the dovetails came together and get all the glue out of there. Um, except that, and if you look at my Instagram feed, you see blood in my Instagram feed because <laughs> yes, oh, yes. as I was like smoothing and leveling out those dovetails, I was kind of like, I'll run my hand over it and see, okay, is it, is it flush? How does that feel? And, and then I kind of ran my hand back towards me across the section that I hadn't flushed out yet. And there was a nice raised razor sharp piece of hardened glue there. And I just Ooh. sliced open. <laughs> oh, that fingers. sucks. Like deeply too. Like, yeah. do I need stitches for this? I don't really know. Um, but yeah, it was like, you idiot. Like there are razor sharp tools everywhere and glue. I cut myself open on glue. It's like, here, it's unbelievable. Maybe, maybe glue would make a good uh, plane blade. Oh, there yeah. you go. Maybe. You just cast, <laughs> cast them. Going back to that episode we had a long time ago about, um, I think it was Matt that, you know, had, he was on blood thinners or something. He was worried about things that he could cut himself on. Yeah, Add right. glue to the list. 
glue is dangerous. <laughs> yeah, glue can be nasty, especially if you use like um uh, the worst stuff is the uh, formaldehyde glues. Like that dries so hard and brittle that I mean there have been times where I'm like, man, that is that that's dangerous right there. We've got to knock that down before that becomes a problem. <laughs> I mean, this was hide glue. So this is yeah. probably the tamest of them. Right. You know, <laughs> drying super hard. And I mean, PVA, I think, is much worse than hide glue. But yeah, it got me. Got me bad, Yikes. too. I got it it made for a good band. picture, though. Yeah, I did enjoy seeing the, the blood. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I waited for it to dribble far enough down my finger for effect. You yeah, know, well, you're sitting there. Hold on. Hold on. Let me squeeze it. Hold, hold on. It. Pump it out. Got to get the perfect picture. Yeah, I ran a couple cool. laps around the bench just to get the blood pumping. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the woodworkers uh, version of like, you know, doing some push-ups real quick before you go to the pool, you know, <laughs> make sure you're all pumped up <laughs> nice. and feeling good. Nice. So anyway, I, I, I just have to, you know, my, my editorial comment here is, is as much as I see all of these high angle frogs being sold and all the stuff that you have to do to prevent tear out. And granted, I'm working with cherry. Cherry's a nice, easy to work with domestic, but this is really curly cherry. And you just don't need any of that stuff. Just get your blade nice and sharp. Tighten up the mouth and you'll be surprised how little tear out you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Still scares me. Tear out? The, the prospect of tear out on a very important board. <laughs> yeah. still well, scares me. You work with Bubinga a lot. That's a different story. Not anymore. Sucker. Anymore. It's true. Not anymore. <laughs> That's it. All done. Uh, all right. So let's get into what's new. And we've got a couple things to share. Our buddy, you guys remember him. His name's Matt. The original Matt, Matt V, is still making content. And it's interesting because he he really dropped off for a while when he did his job transition and and left the show. You guys probably remember all that. And he hasn't really been active much, but it seems like lately he's kind of dipping his toes back in and he got his workbench project done. And now he just put up a utensil organizer, like a kitchen utensil organizer. Um, That's just a fun little project. And it's just cool. It just reminds me, it takes me back a few years um, that he's making content still. So it's pretty cool. So we'll put the uh, embed in the show notes and a link if you want to check it out. Very cool. I'm glad to see that. I enjoyed his workbench build. Yeah, it was good. Um, I just came across this in my inbox today. Um, It's on Kickstarter. If I remember correctly, they hit their goal like eight times over um, like weeks ago. But (laughs) they're essentially wooden transformers. They're Mm -hmm. called Woobots, transformable wooden robots. And they're just (laughs) fun. Like it takes me back because I remember I had a bunch of wooden like construction toys, like, you know, dump trucks and bulldozers and things that we got from a uh, like a craft show in Santa Barbara, California, which is probably still there. Um, and I, I absolutely treasured those things and we still have them. They're in my, my mom's attic somewhere, but this just takes it to the next level. Hmm. Like it's the same as like that cool 18 wheeler wooden truck that I had as a kid, but now it transforms into a robot. And <laughs> I would just love to get my hands in one of these just to see like, how is it done? Like what is, what, are, how did he do the moving parts and stuff? Is it, is it is like rubber bands? I think it's a little bit more than that, but, um, they're just cool to see. So go buy a wooden transformer that's wild <laughs> looking at it right now that's great yeah it's it's pretty slick cool I'm digging it i dig it too <laughs> speaking of go buy stuff um <laughs> go buy this uh andy klein he's a he's a friend of ours i know that guy i think we, we think we'll say that he's a good friend of the show um he had that miter fold blade that he invented almost two years ago and it's finally coming out as available for pre-order from Rockler. Mm-hmm. Um, comes with the dado stack as well, so you got like, the special blade with the dado stack, so you can use the dado, the dado stack separately if you need to. And it's all there, and it's perfect, and I can't wait to try it. Nice. 
That's really cool. That's it's one of the coolest things is to see a fellow maker woodworker person that like comes up with a cool idea, you know, pitches it to a big company. And next thing you know, like everyone's of course, Oh, you got to sell this to so-and-so this should be, you know, mass produced. And here it is being mass produced. It's uh, it's, it's pretty <laughs> badass. So it's been fun to watch the ride. That's for sure. Yeah. Congrats on that, Andy. Um, all right, let's get into our kickback here. Only one thing Mark Haas wrote in on the website in response to, I believe it was the weekend show where we talked about, uh, accessories that we like can't live without. He says, my favorite is the W cross cut sled variable angles with a stop at 90 huge angle scale micro adjust stop rod. It saved my fingers more than once. Mark. Good deal. That's good to know. Uh, all right. Voicemail. So we've got a few of these and I did preview these and I'm not a hundred percent sure that we're going to have answers for all of them because some questions are kind of complex in a you know voicemail format. So uh, let's just go for it. Hey guys, uh, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. This is uh, David, also known as Runningwood, longtime listener, first time caller. You guys do a great service and great job, and I always look forward to listening to your podcast and your website productions. So here's my question: I'm retrofitting an existing. Uh, drop-down inset door. So right now the door has a hinge on the bottom and the door, if let go, falls down on itself. Uh, I was asked to retrofit a some sort of catch so that the door will only open about 90 degrees and not fall on itself. I thought about putting in some sort of chain. Um, I think that would be simpler than coming up with like a slide catch or something else. The question is, how do I place the chain so that the door doesn't catch on it when it closes uh, and it doesn't require a second hand to push it inside the door? Is there some trick in terms of mounting the chain and uh, to make it work the best? Or do you have any other ideas to devise some sort of catch so that the door does not fall down on itself? Uh, thanks a lot. I listened to uh, your answer. Okay, when I first listened to this, I wasn't completely understanding what he was talking about. Um, this sounds like a door that's horizontal, almost like a chest door or something, yeah. like the top of a chest that's falling down. So he, he's mentioning the chain. The first thing that comes to so mind- it's hinged at the bottom then, right? That's what so it sounds falling like. falling out and down. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% sure. But generally speaking, with this type of thing, you do have options with hardware. And not just the mm-hmm. chain, there are- these like sort of articulating arms where they're like connected in the middle and you can use that. You use it for box tops or toy boxes and they allow it to kind of, it restricts how far open it can go. And it can even, some of them will even slow the movement of the door as it gets yeah, closed. Like gas piston or something in there. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So there's a number, there's a variety of things out there in that category that you might want to look at that, that could be applicable and better than a chain, a simple chain. Cause I don't know how yeah, you would I, restrain the chain to, to stop it from, getting caught on the side or something because he's right like gravity is just you know as you take the tension off the chain gravity is just going to have it kind of fall and get in the way um i had something similar to this in my old shop setup i had these like vertical drawers that kind of leaned out and i was putting off cuts and stuff in them Mm -hmm. and i i just went to rockler and i bought one of those um gas piston type what do they call those things a thingamabob yeah, thingamabob. Um, and it, I mean, yes, it wasn't, thingy. they weren't expensive at all. Yeah. Um, but then you also can get, you know, really fancy and go to places like, you know, um, Horton Brasses or, or even Brusso, I think, has those um, 
catch lid catch type things mm-hmm. that can be mortised into the side and look super fancy. I bought one from them for my blanket chest. That's what I've got to install mm-hmm. next to yeah. keep the lid from, you know, a lid stay, I think is what it might be called officially. There you go. That sounds right. That's what I'm going to call it officially right now. <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of those options. Cool. Um, all right. We got another one here on saw noises and I think someone's here. So I'm going to play this and then I'm going to go away and let you guys take it over. <laughs> Hi guys, I just wanted to say I love the show. Um, I have been woodworking for about 14 years, um, but my table saw situation has always been, you know, kind of a crappy contractor saw with a dull blade and everything. But I recently got a um, new hybrid saw. I'm not going to tell you the brand uh, or where I got it because it just makes fun of me. But I'm using a new hybrid saw um, with a nice sharp Freud Diablo blade on it. And I have a question about its operation. It makes kind of a weird noise. Um, it's not it's not a mechanical noise. It's not a noise from the saw. It is kind of a, a mixture between a kind of a, <laughs> a farting noise and a vibration uh, as the wood is fed to the blade. And I kind of ignored it um, for a little while, but then I was watching a video on YouTube, I don't know. I don't remember whose video it was, but they had the noise from the wood being fed to the saw and it had that noise. So I just wanted to ask if y'all encountered that noise from time to time. It's not consistent with my machine. Um, I don't, I haven't figured out what wood or uh, what kind of cut or what size of wood or anything. I haven't figured out a pattern. It just seems to have a random one. So if y'all have any, you know, thoughts or concerns with that, um, let me know. I use feather boards and push sticks and push blocks and all that good stuff. So I don't think it's the wood vibrating in the blade. I'm kind of wondering if it's maybe the blade vibrating because the Freud blades have those uh, little lines cut in them to let the blade flex a little bit so it doesn't bind. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if it has something to do with that. Uh, thanks for the show. Um, I hope I can get on Patreon soon. And yeah, cool. Jeez, that took a long time. Like I, I actually, my neighbor was here and he's uh, picking up some old pallets from deliveries and taking them to a dumpster for me. So I had to go help him. But I'm like, is this voicemail still playing? Like I thought it took me longer than that. Okay. Does your table saw ever fart while you're cutting wood? Only when yeah. uh, when Shannon's around. <laughs> and, Very nice. And I don't think it's the table saw. Um, so yeah, interesting noises. Noises are weird. I mean, my tools sometimes will develop a noise. And I don't know a hundred percent what it is. If it's like a bearing that's going weird or doing something funny um, from his description, do you guys have any suggestions for him? Mm, I've had, um, let's see when I had my, I think it's my glue line rip blade sharpened when I got it back. It must've been like, I must not have been used to it being that sharp anymore. It became, I think it, it's pretty close to that description. It's definitely not like a straight up fart sound, but it does. It did make more noise. I think it was just more aggressive when it came back from the sharpener than mm-hmm. it used to be. So maybe that had something to do with it because it's brand new. But that's all I got. Maybe the chew, Maybe they when they sharpen it, they change the geometry a little bit. Mm. I have no idea. Well, I know that you can get that. I hardly would call it a farting noise, but that rattle sound um, you get on a handsaw from excess vibration because it's not properly aligned. Usually you're cutting off plum or off square or something and you get extra vibration in the toe. So, and it only happens because he said he hears that noise, like as the wood is, as it passes through, like near the end of the cut. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like half the blade is in the cut, half the blade's not. And he brought up those expansion curves in the Freud blade. I wonder if you're just getting vibration as like half the blade is in and half the blade is out. But well, how's the cut quality? If it's vibrating, you would probably see that yeah. on the surface. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Right? That, and, you know, or excess burning or something like that yeah. would be, well, that could be misalignment too. But that's one thing. I mean, look at, at your cut quality and how accurate is your cut and what does it actually look like? Because if there's, you'll see the vibration, you'll see the undulations in the surface. Um, if it's more, a lot of burning, then it could be kind of some run out or something mm-hmm. on his uh, arbor or somewhere in the, in the whole blade arbor mechanism. I don't think, I think he's right. It has nothing to do with the wood. Yeah. I don't know. If anybody has suggestions, this is one of the good things about having the audience. If uh, this sounds familiar to you, you have a clue of what that could be, uh, let us know. Put it in the uh, in the comments section for this post. Uh, next question here we have, uh, I don't know who it is, um, Veneering Drawer Friends. Hello, Mark, Matt, Shannon. I wanted to call with a tiny bit of kickback. Also, I have a question. <laughs> kickback is for Shannon. On several occasions, you have said, Hey, um, Siri. And it throws my phone way off because now it's trying to listen to what you're saying. <laughs> and I hope the um thrown in there. Nice job, Sean. It doesn't make everybody else's phone do the same thing. <laughs> my question. Uh, I'm building a small bathroom cabinet. Something that might be very long pause. a plant stand uh, with a little drawer and a door. And I want to veneer the door, um, which I'm going to build a frame and panel with a plywood panel and veneer that. And I also want to veneer the drawer front. And I'm curious if you would veneer a solid wood drawer front or if you would uh, use a plywood drawer front or some other sheet good and edge trim that or edge band that as well um, before doing the veneer so that uh, when you open a drawer, you don't see the sides or the top uh, of the plywood or MDF or whatever it would be. Thanks. Okay. Um, Okay. I think it really depends on your ultimate goal. I see making one with solid wood as your core and making it with plywood as your core, they have almost, I would see them as having very different goals. Um, So like a reason why you might want to use Solid wood as your core with a veneer is maybe, I don't know, maybe you've got some really nicely figured veneer and obviously you don't have that in full lumber format, so you're going to veneer it, but maybe you're doing a dovetail drawer and you want the dovetails to actually look nice, so you're going to use a solid wood core with the veneer and you could pull that off. But most cases, you know, for most cabinets, if he's already using some veneered plywood in the project, my gut would say, unless there's a joinery reason why you shouldn't be using plywood, I would just use ply, veneer that, and then edge band it. Um, Based on what he said, do you guys have any other, like, use cases where you you might go for solid wood specifically in this? Easier, not to edge band it. If it's the same species, I guess. If it's a different Mm -hmm. species that you're using for a substrate, I guess you'd have do something anyway but if it's you know what a walnut substrate and a walnut veneer you could probably mask that veneer seam along the edges and you don't have to worry about edge banding yeah or the end grain doing something weird there but well i'd like to know more about his veneer and the reason why he's even considering this because the only you would have to do the same species that'd be the only reason to do it and the 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 raw board would have to have something that you don't like about it that you would want to use the veneer instead of just using a piece of solid stock 
right? right. So there's got to be something special about this veneer that he wants to use it. Well, I can test that you have to use the same species. I mean, it doesn't have to be the same species. I've got African mahogany veneers on the drawer fronts of my tool cabinet with cherry substrate. Looks just fine. Now, granted, I used quarter inch thick veneer. Yeah. So it's a little bit different look um, than that, but you know, it worked out. Looks great. I'm guessing in in most cases though, you're probably going to want them to look like it's actually one piece of material. Well, the thing that I would worry about anytime I've got to do edge banding, because Matt already said this, it's just easier to have to to skip the edge banding. Mm -hmm. But then then you've got the edge of the edge banding. So it's like, okay, (laughs) well, you do the edge band first and then veneer the face over top so that the face doesn't – so the face covers the edge of the edge band. But then you've got the edge of the face veneer, which I suppose is – I mean, if your veneer is really, really thin – it's not really that big of a deal. But if you're using shops on like eighth inch or even 16th inch – there's still going to be an edge showing. Um, you got miter all those face now. or on the edge. <laughs> you got miter all. all your veneer seems. This whole thing's <laughs> falling apart here. I mean, if you're if you're making it from your own stock, then you already have the stock to make the drawer front solid. <laughs> like, right. What do you yeah. need to cut it into you're, veneer? So you're for? just being stingy and you're trying to set, stretch <laughs> right. that stock out as long as you can. Which maybe is, maybe it's, it's legit. Babinga. You know, if it were really figured, really beautiful, you know, curly walnut or whatever, sure. bird's eye walnut, which if you've never seen bird's eye walnut, wow. Hey, yo. Cool. Um, but yeah, you know, if you get a piece of bird's eye walnut, saw that end of an ear, you know, yeah. stretch that thing out. But yeah, I know, Mark, I think you nailed it as far as like joinery, I think would be the determiner more than anything. Right. Cool. A All right. Dovetails apply. What I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> it can be done. Should it be? It can be done. Question. It's not fun at all. <laughs> uh, okay, so we have uh, another question from Mark who has an issue with a built-in. What in the heck? Hold on. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't. Well, how did I do that? <laughs> oh, you know what? I changed the, the file name of the wrong file. Here we go. So you have a sensor button. You can bleep us now. No, that's that is. We can just cut loose. And- that actually, I keep it on my desktop. It is a sensor beep that I use just in case we need it. So it's always there. And I changed the name of that file to Mark's built-in. And I just picked the wrong file. So <laughs> here's the one that I should have changed the name to. Hey, M- Mark, Matt, and Shannon. It's Mark from Utah. I'm hoping you can help me with a design question. I'm pondering. I'm trying to design a built-in closet system to go into my son's closet. The closet measures almost 28 inches deep and 71 inches wide. I'm planning to put in a shoe cubby tower in the middle of the closet to support the saggy shelf that's currently above their closet rod, and then put a dresser on each side of the shoe cubby tower, one for each boy. The problem is the depth of the dressers. Most dressers are 17 or 20 inches deep. If I build to that dimension, I have 8 to 10 inches of wasted space at the back of the closet behind the dressers. I could put a a hinged lid over that space so that they have a tall, somewhat hidden storage area for their toys. If I do that, though, they may not be able to reach the bottom of the space as I'm planning to make the dressers about 33 inches tall in order to have the dresser top be coplanar with the top of the chair rail that goes around the room. I could just make the dressers and drawers that go in them extra deep, but then I'm concerned about things getting lost and forgotten at the back of the drawers, not to mention hard for the boys to open and close, and the drawers drawers would end up being roughly square, which seems to be kind of bad design. I could make the dresser extra deep and make the drawers standard size and have them slide on a shelf instead of a web frame so there's a hidden storage area in the dresser behind the drawers, but then I'd be concerned about things getting lost because they were put there and forgotten about. Uh, what are your thoughts on how to handle the extra space? I look forward to hearing uh, your answer on the show. Thanks. All right. I'll throw it to Matt first. What, what would you do in a situation? 
Oh, I don't know. I'd probably just go extra deep. Just use the full depth. Use the space for the dresser. Yeah, I think I think so. I think that's what I would do. What is the limiting factor here? Why can't he just shrink the whole design down? Why does it have to be that deep? Then it's waste of space inside the closet. Yeah, so then it's probably just going to be set back from the front of the closet. He just wants to utilize and probably keep it flush toward the front. Wouldn't that be somewhat desirable to have a little bit of air between the door of the closet and the? I don't know. You're asking well, a question really we don't matter. have. Doesn't really matter. We don't have the info on. Where are there going to be doors? I don't, who knows? Yeah, I guess chair rail going around. Maybe, maybe he's taking the doors off, so it's just going to be the pocket where the closet was. Let's just right. assume that that that's his restriction. That it needs to be. He yeah. wants to use the entire depth. Okay. I'm trying to be efficient, Shannon. Yeah, come like on. That's so much space. Don't be silly. Yeah, except that at the cost of being efficient, you now have this dead space <laughs> at the back. That's not efficient. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like the idea of kind of the, the storage space behind. Um, but I want, you know, he's right. Like you'll never be able to get to the bottom and then you've got like you you know, pull some little kid out. like reaching up and falling head first into his hidden storage cabinet and <laughs> yeah. the lid shutting clothes on him behind him. And, you know, I wonder, is there a way like to get access to the sides? Like, could you make the door on the side? And the problem is, I think to do that, you'd have to have gaps on the side big enough to, to have yeah, the door yeah. swing open. And if he's going full width, it's not going to, not going to be able to make that work. I would say, give it to the dresser. I mean, kids accumulate a lot of clothes. If you have these big dressers, who cares about dimension when you're talking about a right. built-in? Um, right. Th- you can't really see. Yeah. Right? Depth no? kind of becomes irrelevant at that point. So I would say use the space and furthermore, get yourself some overextension slides. All right. So you could pull those entire things out, make sure they're, you know, weight rated properly for this. And then these drawers are going to be so big, maybe throw in some dividers. So you don't just have this massive, like giant drawer. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking Seinfeld right now. We're going to be hosting a hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to put a a team of Asian men in the drawers. Um, Yeah. So I think if you, if, if you could subdivide them a little bit, get a little bit of organization in there for you as the parents who are probably putting the clean clothes in these drawers, uh, I think you will enjoy that extra space as long as you get extension slides that allow you to pull the thing out completely and get to the far back end of that drawer compartment. I say more storage is, is better, especially for kids. At the same time, I agree with that, but I think maybe take one of the drawers and put that little secret compartment in the back. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking like when I was a little boy, that would have been cool. That's true. Like dad, and you know, you could put like a lockbox door on it or some sort of thing with like a, you know, padlock and that could be little Johnny's secret stash. And then when little Johnny becomes teenage Johnny, it could be his secret stash. I was just, you know what I, mean? I was just going to say, you, you can almost tell that Shannon doesn't have kids because you kind of <laughs> don't want to encourage your kids to be hiding crap from you. <laughs> like not only give them permission to hide stuff, but enable them by building a secret compartment in their furniture. <laughs> I mean, then again, you it's one there. you know about. So <laughs> yeah, but, but if you trust it, me, it is only, an extra key to it. It's only, especially if they're boys, it's only a matter of years before there's pornography in there or something related to that. So just, you know, well, then, you know, <laughs> you know where to go to get porn. That's true. Yes. In case you need it, you can always use more yeah, because, because you need a place to go find porn. Then again, yeah, I mean, we are talking internet. It's, tw- it's 2017. I'm not sure if it works the same way as it did when when I was a teenager. Um, I think I think you hide your porn now by hitting clear browser history. Yes, exactly. That's, it's you know, a browser history you don't need question a cubby for that. Yeah, so I don't know what they're going to put in there, oh, but it ain't going to be good. Hey, 
Okay. Sorry, Mark. We just took your conversation off the rails. I and hope your kids don't listen to the show. We also assume the worst of your children. <laughs> so we apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. So oh. if you want to leave a voicemail like those folks did, you can just give us a call on Skype. You can use our username, Wood Talk Online, or call us at 623-242-5180, or get us at uh, woodtalkonline at gmail.com. You could send us a voice memo from your phone app. Uh, all right. Let's get into our emails. And I've got the first one here from Andrew Hansen. He says, long tool, long term tool storage power tools. I have to leave large power tools behind for a couple of years, uh, at least to go live in Italy. I'm making my hand tools. I'm taking my hand tools and Rubo with me. What sort of prep would you recommend for the cast iron surfaces before I lock them away for possibly two to seven years? So my first instinct here is to do what the manufacturers do. So whenever you get a new tool, it arrives in your shop, it's coated with schmutz and has a layer of like plastic film on top of the schmutz. And I think that's a pretty decent long-term storage solution. So the material you can use is called Cosmoline. And maybe you guys know something else or other brands or, or things that might be useful for this as well. Um, but basically... Wait, that is a brand, isn't it? Isn't I don't Cosmoline know if it's a, a branded product? It says, is uh, the genera, generous-sized trademark for generic class of rust inhibitors. Ah, so nice. maybe, I don't know. I don't understand it's it. sticky goo. Confusing English. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's kind of waxy, sticky substance, and you can coat it with a layer of plastic, and that should keep those cast iron surfaces in pretty good shape until it's time to use them again. And it, you know, like I said, it works well for manufacturers who have to ship these things out and store them in giant warehouses. I think it would work well in a storage situation that uh, you know for long term like that. So that would be my suggestion. I'm yep. good with that. Quick answer on that. One. I know. I know. Bow Shield has a the typical Bow Shield product. They have instructions for long term storage mm, okay. that involves like a second coat and not wiping it off, You're leaving it on. Yeah, because then that it, dries, it dries. It dries kind of waxy too. there. Um, so that might be a little bit easier to apply because it's an aerosol format, but it's probably more expensive too because Bow Shield T nine is not cheap. Yeah, and I'm looking um, on this one website. I don't know if this is exactly what you would use, but it looks like a gallon can. Is, you can get it for seventy eight bucks. So that's probably going to go a little bit further than bow shield aerosol type stuff. Well, any aerosol is going to be wasteful. pretty wasteful. So. Uh, but yeah, there you go. Cool. Good to know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All right. Oh, yeah. This next one is from Andre. This, hey guys, great show. Keep it up. Straight grain lumber. Everything I've been making has been with plain saw lumber, either to my local hardware supplier or my walnut guy. Man, walnut guy. That sounds guy. pretty fancy. I wish I had a walnut guy. <laughs> My lumber supplier is in carry quarter sawn. If I cut my plain side board in half, do I have quarter sawn? Will this piece have less movement? What are my options? Um, it also <laughs> goes on to say, one more thing. I built a dining room table with uh, from three large panels and with four breadboards. Oh, four breadboards. Say what? Huh? How? I don't. Okay. I'll, I'm going to keep reading this. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Ponder in the back of my mind how that is <laughs> possible. Um uh, not a good design, but it's flat and hold stuff. <laughs> since <laughs> since it's been in the house, the panels have shrunk and the breadboards didn't. The breadboards are about a quarter inch wider than the panels. I'm, pl- I'm planning on trimming the edge with the straight edge and circular saw for future builds. Is this avoidable? Is there some calculation I should be using when building to compensate for the panel shrinking? Would using quarter saw and lumber help a great deal? Thanks, guys. Um, so I still don't know how four breadboards would work, but I'll go back to the beginning here. <laughs> Maybe you could put <laughs> a breadboard a, on all four sides. 
Right. Did he do it so, all four sides? So like on the long green too. It's just an hmm. edge screen board. I, How, yeah, it would just be and and like a glue up. It would just be more boards. I don't know. Maybe he right. meant. Maybe he. Maybe it's a typo. Maybe it was two breadboards. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Clarify that for us, Andre, because that's very confusing. <laughs> this could be say, very did you unique. miter the edges? Because now it's just a mitered top. <laughs> maybe he put breadboard ends on his breadboards. Ooh, that's meta. Double breadboard. I'd have six. I'd be six breadboards. That's got to be that's the. That's belt and suspenders. You're worried that the breadboard ends are going to cup. So breadboard the breadboard, <laughs> breadboard ends. Yeah, little tiny breadboards at the very end. Uh, you just keep like, going. That's like government fine furniture construction. Fine <laughs> furniture made by Somebody's got to do that. You got to make a breadboard on your breadboard. That would be hilarious. Right. You've got those double dovetails, right? So yeah. now you got to have breadboarded breadboards. <laughs> uh, we're not making fun of you, Andre, by the way. They're just having fun but, with but woodworking. Kinda. We're not, but, but we You are. just gave us the inspiration to make jokes. <laughs> that only woodworkers would care about. That's right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> if you cut a plain sawn board in half, do you have quarter sawn? Um, only if your plain sawn board came from towards the center of that cut, so you have the pith pretty close to the center of that board. The two outside halves of that board will be quarter sawn. But interestingly enough, if you have a flat sawn board where the grain is running perfectly parallel to that face, the edges of those boards are technically quarter sawn. Because those growth rings are intersecting those edges at nine degrees. Doesn't really matter. That's a fun fact. <laughs> and now you know. Uh, it's I just the, like the math involved. If, if I have, <laughs> you know, if if it's been cut once, if I cut it again, is it now quarter sawn? Because it's been cut in half. The first cut is I half sawn. Half in half. Right. That's a quarter. It's quarter sawn. That's how. So it technically, works. yes, it is quarter sawn. <laughs> I like that. It's true. Oh boy. I'm gonna try pushing that at the lumber yard. Hey guys, this isn't this more because it's quarter sawn. <laughs> yeah. This question is going really well. <laughs> You're doing it justice. Keep going. Uh, okay, so on the on the table um, shrinking. So it could just be that this time of the year, the panel is going to move. That breadboard end is not. Um, making the whole table out of course on boards would cause it to expand less. Um, mathematically, it would expand half as much, so that breadboard uh, would only be an eighth of an inch wider than the panels if all the math is consistently correct. Um, tan- tans- tangential and radial expansion on wood are the two things you're looking at there and I always confuse them one of them radial expands is- less okay there we go there we go so radial Coruscant expands at half as much as tangential roughly so that kind of gives you an idea of that and to compensate for the panel shrinking you just get an idea of how much it's going to move there are um, a few calculators out there that you can just pipe in the species, the cut, and the um, moisture conditions of your home or where you live or whatever, I'll tell you how much it'll move, you know, throughout the, those um, moisture swings throughout the year, from winter to summer, for instance. So you kind of plan that way. But with breadboard ends, you got to think about because that panel is always going to move. So which one do you prefer? Do you prefer the breadboard ends to be proud or not proud? Right. Half the year. Well, I also think <laughs> if he's going to trim it, think about when he trims it. Yeah, You know, like if you trim it in like the spring, it generally will be flush more of the year. But if you trim it during one of the extremes, like in the middle of summer or in the middle of winter, where it's either the driest and or the wettest, the wood is only going to expand its maximum amount from there. So, you know, rather than trimming it flush in the middle of July and August, when it's just going to shrink up from there, you know, trim it kind of in those those transition seasons 
you'll have it flush twice a year instead of just once a year. <laughs> I, I would actually recommend waiting a little bit longer if you can, because if you can get a year or two and just kind of pay attention, make it a little side project, see what this thing does, because those panels could have shrunk down to a point of equilibrium and they actually lost oh. quite a bit of moisture. So you may have more there. So if you are making this adjustment right now, you could end up in trouble. But if you find that as it, you know, in the most humid season, you still wind up having you know, a little bit of an edge there on the breadboard. Mm-hmm. That is the amount that you want to trim in the most humid time yeah. of the year. Uh, Cause otherwise you're going to wind up with them sinking inside the panel, which looks horrible. I'd rather than be proud than be sunken in. Um, but I'm thinking there could have been at least some general panel uh, shrinkage based on equilibrium. Um, it may have just dried out a little bit more and now it's fluctuation may only be an eighth of an inch across the year. So look at it, give it a little more time, I would say, and see what it does before you do anything drastic. Yeah. That was a good one. Thank that you. That was a really good question. Thank you. Oh. Good job, Andre. Andre, yeah. Right, we made fun of we you. We butchered but you it. a good question. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, though. All right. This next one comes from, I'm going to say, Michal. Michal? Michal. Michael? Michael. It's probably Michael. Michael. It's an interesting spelling. <laughs> Michael. I'm getting all fancy and, and stuff. <laughs> Michal. Monsieur Michal. Yeah, my name's Michael. Um, <laughs> 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 if I'm not mistaken, one of you did the craft show circuit. If so, what were the best kinds of shows? Home and garden, wine, country fairs, etc. This is my second full second year full time into woodworking, and I want to hit the circuit a lot more this year. Thanks. So, um, yeah, I did the craft show circuit, and I hit a lot of different shows. And I can say there is no one best kind of show. Um, they all have kind of their own character, and what you need to do is find the show that best suits what you're making um, or tailor what you're making to meet that show. Um, A good example, I used to do, um, I did a lot of Christmas bazaar type things because of course people are in the spend and gift buying mode. And I did one one year um, at the school where my wife works and it was, she works at a girl's school. So it was, I went into it the first time and there was basically a bunch of vendors showed up catered directly towards the students. Like, you know, they're supposed to be there buying for mom and dad, but it's like stuff for <laughs> middle school girls. Right. And I showed up with gifts for dad. Like I made a bunch of pens. I made um, like pocket humidors, like that fit in like a briefcase and stuff. It was nice. just pure masculine gifts. And I cleaned up because I was the only one there who was actually selling stuff. And in general, like to a middle school girl, dad is impossible to buy for. Like, mm-hmm. what do you get dad? Like you can't relate and dads are so tired of getting ties and stuff like that. And this was like, Ooh, handmade wooden pen, handmade box. And it was the perfect product for that particular market. And it, it just fit perfectly. But then I went, took the same line of stuff to a home and garden show and sold very little because it was, you know, a totally different demographic that was there. Either a lot of DIY type people that were looking for stuff for the home for enhancements for their house and they weren't really looking for keepsake boxes and things like that. Um, I never actually the home and garden one. If you find a show that's not very good, that's probably not very good because it is catered to a lot of the DIY type set, you know, people who want to improve their house or whatever. So it's you got to take a look at what's around you and figure out what am I making and how does that speak to the particular person that would go to that show. Mm-hmm. Um, there are craft shows at retirement homes and you know, big furniture, not a good idea. You know, there's no place to put them. These people are, you know, in the sunset years and they're looking for, 
you know, more of the keepsake type stuff. They're also fixed income generally. So you got to keep your prices, you know, low. So yeah, you got to look at what you're making to make the decision from there. Cool. Good advice. Cool. Cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think that's going to wrap it up for us. And just a reminder, we do have an email extra that we record after this show for our $4 and higher patrons. And today we're going to discuss uh, kind of a, it's a per- particular person situation, but more generally, what do you do if you confront something that you just can't get good results? No matter how much you practice, no matter how much you do, you can't get good results. Do you bail? Do you keep working harder? Do you look for a, a different instructional resource? What do you do? So we're going to ponder that question. Um, and if you want to support the show, you can. Again, I mentioned at the top of the show, we'll mention it again. Patreon.com slash woodtalk is where you can go. Sign up. And uh, remember, you do that $4 level or higher, you actually get that extra content every week. And you can also get a uh, Wood Talk t-shirt over at tbwwstore.com and look us up in iTunes and leave a review if you want to do that. That always helps too. Uh, Shannon, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. Okay. If you can figure out a way to put four breadboards on three panels, you can let us know. (laughs) Is it a lottery system? You know, however you do that. But you can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. You can call us at 623-242-5180. You can use our contact form at WoodTalkShow.com slash contact. Or just go to this page, WoodTalkShow.com. This episode, leave a comment at the bottom and tell us about the mysterious breadboard conundrum. Um, yeah, yep. that's it. Oh, yeah, we have our own sites, too. Woodwhisper.com, RenaissanceWoodworker.com, and Slabbergasted.com, MattCremona.com. <laughs> Cup, CoupleSlab.com. CoupleSlab. <laughs> there you go. There's another one. Breadboards in 3-4 time. There you go. It's going to be my next composition. Mm, I'd listen there to There you it. go. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Um, I think. What do we do now? I forget. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.